Bidenomics or Trumponomics or any of the anomics because it doesn't have this. This is I go back to this regularly. The president usually has very, very little control of the current economic situation. Once more into the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting, arguably, episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and Jeff McClure, who have the opportunity and are very excited about it to really screw things up without realizing it. Which is a common theme for most people's lives, only in our case, we are actually on the air in front of at least, uh, I would say, tens of maybe ones of people um, so we can mess up in a slightly more um, public setting, mildly. So that's our first disclosure. Uh, Next disclosure is this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and that is also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. It's not a coincidence. They're the same people talking to you on the air here that uh, sit as principals at that firm. However, we can't offer investment advice on the air because we don't know everybody that's listening. We don't even know if anyone is listening. It's not a very private setting. Uh, so I think, I think Aaron's listening. We hope so. He is the and producer. I'm, listen- I'm listening. A producer who should get some high accolades. Aaron is uh, magnificent. Uh, the, uh, the fact that we can't offer investment advice on the air, so what are we doing then if we're not offering advice? Well, hopefully education. We are going to re-educate the population in, wait a minute, that's that's not exactly what it, maybe it is. <laughs> uh, if you need a good brain cleaning, we're here to do the washing for you. Um, we're here to talk about economics, but in the middle of that, I said education, SEC, SEC, wait a minute. That's not to imply that they think that we are a the chosen ones are anointed in any way. The SEC is our regulator, and therefore, if we say something fraudulent, misleading in a context that could hurt someone financially, they're the folks to talk to. It isn't to imply that they have somehow given us some kind of extra authority or privileges or any of that. Anybody that's ever been to the DMV knows that just because you have a driver's license does not mean that they fully support all of your actions. Very similar situation. They don't? Uh, correct. That is correct. I've I've noticed them out there supporting my actions on a regular basis. Um, sir, this is the DMV. We do not have a sense of humor. Oh, okay. Uh, the SEC is similarly without humor. Mm. They might have a trace of humors, but that's an old school medical problem, not the... Uh, uh, so we're offering education, not advice. So you have a disclosure for us. Well, I my disclosure is a good one, I think. It is that um, the information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. We do, however, warranty and guarantee that anything that we do not say on the air is incomplete. Thank you. Now, uh, we have gotten through our disclosures in record time, folks. It only took us 37 minutes this time around. Uh, Next time, we're going to reach for 36. Uh, Sorry, that was hyperbole. Uh, and it, it, hyperbole is great unless you're talking about missiles. Right. What I talked about and what ha- we have talked about on the radio and in person 
is that short-term rates are not the thing that most people are concerned with. It's the long-term rates that people are really upset about. If you want to buy a house, if you want to refinance, if you are, are trying to develop property, those long-term rates are high. And people don't like that. It's expensive. Well, um, when the Federal Reserve this week, when Chairman Powell had his press conference, and I've got the transcript here, um, the reporters asked questions with the word cut in it 20 times. Chairman Powell said the word cut once. Why did he say it and what did he say it about? I'm not going to direct quote this part. I'm going to paraphrase it. What he said is that it will be too late to start cutting when we reach our target of 2% because then we might be in a spiral that could lead to deflation. So we would want to start before then. What does that mean? It means if you look back at what we've said over the past six months or so, we've been saying, hey, it looks like we're hitting month by month, the Fed target. Our year over year still looks high, but each month for the past six months, we've been well within the range that is the target for the Fed. Everybody reports the annualized stuff looking at 12 months to today, and we're still 3.7% up from where we were 12 months ago, or 3.5% or somewhere in there. It's been slowly falling. But if you look back at an annualized inflation for the past six months, we're right at, right at that 2% mark, which is why he's saying we would start to look at this in March because we need to get ahead of it. So if you look back six months and then look ahead six months, we're talking about May or June. He wants to get ahead of it. Okay, that's all reasonable. So all of that is just some background. The last question that was asked of Chairman Powell is the one that I think is the one that most people really want to care about and they don't know. They don't even know that it happened, which is what's going on on the long-term interest rates. This is the mortgage area. This is the 30-year and the 10-year bond area, 10-year note, I'm sorry. Um, so when you're talking about mortgages, we, you know, we're this all this conversation and we saw the drop in the 30-year bond rate and we saw a drop in the 10-year note rate at the U.S. Treasury. During that same time period, we saw 30-year mortgages drop 0.08%. That's a percent. So if you keep putting the zeros out the front to turn it into a whole number, you realize that's a tiny, that's that's a blip. It's We had more than that on a month where or a day when the Federal Reserve is not talking. So in essence, nothing happened in the mortgage market. We saw rate drops at the 30-year level in the treasury market and the 10-year of the treasury market. But we didn't see anything in the in the mortgage market. Why? Uh, Michelle, or I'm sorry, Megan Casella from Barron's asked the, the last question of the conference. And what her question was is about the balance sheet, which is the Fed's primary focus. For the past, I don't know, 12 months, that has been the number one topic that the Federal Reserve talks about. And she says, can you talk us through what the latest thinking is um, considering possible rate cuts? And has there been any consideration of altering the pace of quantitative tightening at all? That QT, quantitative tightening, what is that? First off, that is the sale by the Federal Reserve of mortgage-backed securities and long-term U.S. Treasury bonds and short-term U.S. Treasury bonds. They have a very, very high balance sheet. They've got a lot of them on the books because they bought them up during the pandemic. So this was part of their quantitative easing, um, QE, 
if you guys remember all of that. And then we had the taper tantrums when they stopped easing. They weren't buying from the market. What Chairman Powell says is very clear. It doesn't get clearer than this. There's no double talk in his words at all. Chairman Powell's answer was, we are not talking about altering the pace of QT right now just to get that out of the way. So balance sheets seem to be working pretty much as expected. He goes on to say that we've already sold back $1.2 trillion. How much more do they have to do? About $8 trillion left to sell into the market to get back to what we were pre-pandemic. Okay, what does that have to do with anything? Uh, well, let's kind of give you the background. When the pandemic hit, the Federal Reserve started buying bonds and mortgages. What did that do? Well, if there's a lot of people out there or a lot of money out there to buy mortgages, it means that more banks can issue mortgages. It means there's more competition in the mortgage market because they can turn around and sell to the Fed as well as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and Morgan Stanley and all the people that want to buy mortgages. The Federal Reserve came in and they were about a, a a third of the mortgage market there during the pandemic. That's really big. I can't express that very clearly to you, except to say it's massive. A huge amount of money was made available to banks to give mortgages. Then as things calmed down, the pandemic's starting to calm. We're, we've got good numbers in the bank. Um, the Federal Reserve says, all right, we're going to stop buying as many. So these are the quantitative uh, this this is not quantitative tightening yet. We're still easing. They're tapering their purchases. So they're buying less. So they went down to about a quarter of the market. And, and interest rates started slowly to climb on mortgages. Not very much, just a little. They hadn't started raising short-term interest rates yet. Then they said, we're not buying. We are no longer going to be buying mortgage securities, nor are we going to be buying big bonds, except when some of ours mature We'll buy one to replace it. Okay, that was the taper tantrum when we stopped, when the Federal Reserve stopped buying those assets. And that's when we started to see some real movement upward in interest rates for mortgages. Then came quantitative tightening. When they came out and they said, we're going to start selling bonds. Not only are we not going to be buying from banks the mortgages, we're going to be competing on selling mortgages into the market, which means and there's... That, go ahead. And at that point, the markets and the economy went... Ugh, yeah. Because they get they felt the tightening. Yeah, that tightened hard. That's when interest rates on mortgages started up through the roof. That's figurative and literal. Uh, if you live in a house that has a high interest rate on it, you know that that interest rate is affecting your roof, uh, whether or not the dog is barking. All right. So that being said, quantitative tightening is the sale of those bonds back into the market. Not only is the Federal Reserve not buying the mortgages from the bank, it's competing with the bank on selling the mortgages, which means that the banks have to offer higher and higher interest rates on those mortgages in order to make it, in order for it to be attractive to a buyer on the other end. And what Chairman Powell said is, we're not changing that. That part's remaining the same. If we cut lower interest rates, if we go lower interest rates, it's only going to be on the short end of the spectrum. The short end is what we charge banks or what we give to banks on an overnight loan, an overnight deposit. This isn't the 30-year stuff, which is why the mortgage market didn't move at all during this week of massive uproar on Wall Street. 
the mortgage market was unaffected because what Chairman Powell said is, if we're lowering rates to fight inflation, we still have to deal with the big balance sheet. We still have to sell this stuff back. Now, if we hit a point where it looks like a recession, I would anticipate that the Federal Reserve would stop selling into the market. But right now, they're selling about $90 billion a month into the market. $30 billion of that is mortgage stuff, and $60 billion of that is U.S. Treasuries which causes interest rates to remain high. And, and I know that there's convolution there, but it's basically if you have eight banks that all have lots of money and want to loan it to you, then they're going to compete to get that interest rate as low as possible. When you're negotiating with them and you say, I want a, I want a mortgage, and they say, I'll give you one for 5%, and the other one says, well, we'll give you one for 4 and, and the other one says, oh, no, we'll, 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 break, we'll bring it down to 4.25. That's a negotiation in an auction market where they have a lot of cash on hand. That cash is gone. When you go to get a mortgage, there are fewer people offering them, much fewer, and the interest rates are higher because they can't turn around and sell them to the Federal Reserve as well as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. In fact, they have to compete with the Federal Reserve in selling them into the market. So the competition has gone from keeping interest rates as low as possible to being competitive by having a higher interest rate. And that's the that's the wrap-up, uh, a very clear wrap-up there, is that don't expect the long-term rates on mortgages to come down when the Federal Reserve starts lowering its short-term rates. That's not what anybody wants to hear. Sorry for being the bearer of bad news there, but that's clearly what he said as his closing statement at the press conference. If I could add something to that, um, there's a couple of things here. One, the fact that interest rates declined back to where they were in July, which on is the, still... On the short-term side, yeah. On the, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry, on the long term. Yeah, yeah, on the yeah. tenure. The fact that long-term interest rates bump downward a little bit doesn't change our opinion that longer-term rates will continue to rise uh, over the next, well, as a matter of fact, several publications I take that are very thoughtful and uh, have a good track record have also suggested that longer-term rates are going to continue to rise. Uh, the only way we can get back to a normal yield curve is for the Federal Reserve, first the Federal Reserve, which is between is, is charging between is, is set the short term rates between 5.25 and five and a half percent. There is the best predictions I've read from the people who are good at predicting these things suggest, and and there's even some members of the Federal Reserve who've supported that 4.5 percent to five percent by the end of next year, short term rates. Well, if we eventually will get back to a non inverted yield curve, a normal yield curve where longer term interest rates are higher than shorter term interest rates. This is a very unnatural situation being created by the Fed right now. The economy, if, if the Fed backs out of trying to tightly control things, shorter term loans have a lower interest rate than longer term loans. Therefore, the bond yield curve, the treasury bond yield curve will be positive again. So how do we get back there? Well, for starters, historically, tre short-term treasury securities have yielded around 3%. Um, and that's in, in a normal economy. And we had an abnormal economy for since the banking crisis in 2008. We've had a, in 2009, we've had an abnormal economy. And there's some good reasons for it. And we can go into that in great detail. But if let's say let's say be very positive and say it's two and a half percent. If the Fed wants it, if inflation to be two percent, then they need to charge a little more than inflation for T bills. So they say two and a half percent. Well, that means that longer term rates need to be higher than that, and they 
probably will be higher than that and continue to rise. So we haven't changed our position on that. And I got one other thing, but uh, you wanted to say something. Yeah, and I wanted to address the last part of, or the, maybe the middle part. Some major portion of the question from Marty is this smells a little bit like politics. Everything smells like politics when we're coming into an election year. So the Federal Reserve is supposed to be insulated from that. Supposed to be. So I mean, and I'm saying supposed to be because it's important to know that politics is everything. Politics means people. But I'm going to remind folks of something. Jerome Powell was nominated to the board of the Federal Reserve by Barack Obama. He was nominated to the chair of the Federal Reserve by Donald Trump. That's important to note that Janet Yellen was endorsed by Donald Trump. She's now the Treasury Secretary for Joe Biden. But if you look at the history of the Federal Reserve, it's apolitical. It's as apolitical as we want the Supreme Court to be. It's, it is supposed to be led by academics at this point. And Jerome Powell is an academic. Dan uh, Bernanke was an academic. Yellen was an academic. These are people that we want doing this, not people that are progressive or conservative or in light of the new president or in light of what Congress is thinking now. None of that should be part of whether or not we have inflation or deflation. When we look at why he says we might be cutting rates in March, it totally makes sense with the math. And the math isn't affected by Bidenomics or Trumponomics or any of the anomics because it doesn't have this. This is, I go back to this regularly. The president usually has very, very little control of the current economic situation. Even when we started a trade war under Donald Trump, we did it at a, in a booming period of the market, a booming period of our economy. It didn't cause a re recession. It didn't change the direction of the economy almost at all. It may have influenced later some inflation, but a lot of things influence inflation. So giving a credit to Biden for not being in a recession or being in a recession, he hasn't done anything that could have prevented it or caused a recession. Neither did Donald Trump. The president doesn't control the economy. We just give them credit or blame. And I know that this is this is one of those things that I come back to regularly. And, and if it really makes you feel better to blame Biden, it's okay. That's You get an emo emotional benefit because you can blame someone for it. That's the anthropomorphism of a mob. We are the economy, all of us. How we determine we spend our money on a day-to-day -day basis is what changes our economy. It's what causes inflation and deflation. And we're a massive mob. And the mob is made up of a pretty um, even mix of Republicans and Democrats. And when the Democrats say, hey, we're going to bring back the estate tax, and then the Democrats say, no, we can't do that because we have a bunch of rich Democrats now. Or the Republicans say, we're going to stop uh, all aid to foreign countries until we get uh, a wall built. Then you get the rest of the mob looks at the extreme ends of either side of the political party, and they say, no, that's not how it goes. So we just passed a defense bill in Congress that was Democrats and Republicans voting together against the extreme right wing of the conservative party. This is what happens normally. And, and we're very polarized right now, so it doesn't happen as often. But when we're talking about the economy, it isn't Biden saying, you know, I think we should make the economy better today so I can get elected. What could he do? to? There's no like lever 
in the Oval Office that he says, okay, let's turn that to good economy or bad economy. There isn't a lever. You can lower taxes, and that may cause the economy to do well, but then we can't pay our bills. You can raise taxes, and maybe that'll affect the economy in a negative way. Donald Trump did that. Donald Trump Trump raised taxes. He also lowered taxes. When did he raise taxes? That's what the tariffs were. When did he lower taxes? The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So all of that is to say politics and the Federal Reserve should not be in the same sentence. And when we look at the math that the Federal Reserve is using as their model for when they lower or raise short-term interest rates and when they end quantitative tightening, nothing is in there about, you know, we think the economy is going to change because there's a different person or the same person in the Oval Office. Because it doesn't. Okay, you've been waiting to add to this. Yeah, well... I want to explain something that I have to re-explain to myself on a regular basis. We've talked about it before. And if anybody out there thoroughly understands this, first, I apologize. And secondly, you need to be doing what we do. Um, What causes interest rates to rise and fall? And it's supply and demand, pure and simple. Absolutely. Now, short term, short term, the Federal Reserve sets the rates because that's the interbank lending rate. And the interbank lending rate affects how banks loan money and and everything. But long-term, interest rates are set by the market. Now, the Federal Reserve right now is a major participant in the market, but that will end. When we talk about the fact that they're shrinking their balance sheet, they are selling bonds effectively into the market. Now, what does that mean? That means that there is a greater supply than demand at this point. When there's a greater supply than demand, prices drop. In other words, when there's more stuff and fewer people who want to buy this stuff, then in order to sell the stuff, you have to lower the prices. That's the nature of markets. The Federal Reserve is selling mortgage bonds and treasury bonds into the market to shrink its balance sheet. Why is it doing that? Well, uh, it's doing that because it wants to get rid of them so it can have cash again. Now, why does it want to have cash again? Because the next time we are faced with a recession, they have to have a lot of cash to go out and buy bonds and flush bonds into the market. So they're doing the perfectly reasonable thing and there's something making loud. So so what we've got going on right now is the Federal Reserve selling bonds, which raises interest rates. Well, how does it raise interest rates if the bond market goes down? It comes back to the simple thing. A bond, generically, is a $1,000 loan. And if you have a bond that is, listen, I'm going to use an absurd, not terribly absurd, but slightly absurd numbers here. If you have a bond that's at 5%, it's a 30-year bond, let's just say, and you've purchased it and it's a 5% bond and you purchase it from the issuer, so it's paying you $50 a year. Let's just say that because of the fact that the bond market has declined, interest rates go up to 10%. Now, if somebody buys a $1,000 bond, they get $100 a year. And you decide to sell your bond that's paying you $50 a year on the open market when you can buy a new one that's paying you $1,000 a year, how much is your bond worth? Well, the gut reaction is worth $500, actually worth a little more than that, because at the end, the issuer will likely pay you back $1,000. So maybe $600, $700 is what your bond is worth, whereas you paid $1,000 for it. That is a falling bond market, which we have had for the last two years, by the way. It's come back a little bit recently, but the three-year returns on bond portfolios that are in intermediate bond portfolios are still generally negative. Uh, Even with all interest rates reinvested, they're generally negative at this point. I just looked at one uh, that has, uh, over the last three years, it's done really, really well. It's returned 1.5% a year, which is obviously lower than inflation, which means that the investment lost money during the period. 
So the supply and demand drives the long-term interest rates, and we're going to have more demand. And I, why are we going to have more demand? Because the economy is booming. It's continuing to boom. And if you understand all that stuff, and I bored you to death because you understand it, you need to come work with us. Yeah. <laughs> and if you didn't understand it, you're like me. And I want to come back to the tea leaves. Um, we Tea prices per U.S. dollar t- per kilogram are right at where the 10-year average is. So when we read the tea leaves, what we're seeing is $3.25 per kilogram. And you can look that up in the commodity prices. So if you're into reading tea leaves, it's going to cost you the same amount as it has on average over the last 10 years. And we're about out of time for this for this hour. We'll be back next hour with more of the Personal Wealth Coach. But if you would like to join the conversation or talk to us off the air, we actually do talk to people. We are real live people. Um, if you would like to talk to us off the air, you can go... You can call us locally at 254-947-1111. You can get voicemail during the weekend, but real live people during the week. Um, you can reach that same line toll-free, should you still have a landline, at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. And I've noticed that that number isn't used quite as often as it used to be for some reason. Um You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can find our made-for-podcast faces. You can uh, contact us through the contact form. You can email us directly. You can listen to our radio program going back lots of years. You can find us wherever the podcasts are. We've got podcasts out there. Um, And contact us through the contact form or jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com.